Luke 20, Part 1, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. Today is the issue of hearts. It's also pretty relevant, right? Valentine's Day is coming up Wednesday, so I hope there are those of you who are doing something special for a special someone, and those of you who are not, you're not, you're not really missing out, right? <laughs> Flowers are still overpriced. Chocolate's going to be on sale on Thursday, right? Um, for those of the single holy of holies, they're telling me, Pastor Doug, Wednesday is Lent, right? Wednesday is the beginning of Lent, yes. It's the beginning of fasting. But today, we are talking about hearts. We're talking about the beating source, the center, the innermost part of something. We're actually looking at three hearts today. And my hope for us today is that we can all collectively examine and study and get some perspective on our own hearts, right? Today is something like a part two of last week, actually, because Pastor Peter spoke on how dangerous it is for our emotions to be dictating if we engage with God or not, right? If we're feeling it, if it feels good, you know? Because if your spiritual walk looks like a roller coaster because of your feelings, then I'm inclined to say that your heart is not right. I'm inclined to say that your heart is probably more of a heart for yourself than it is a heart for God. And I know I I am very much aware that we all go through hard things, right? That's the reality of things. There's tremendous pain that has been experienced in this room. And it may seem more natural to walk away from God during those things. But God calls us to press in. God calls us. That's why this takes work, because a heart for God is deeper than our circumstances and the way we feel. When was the last time you really checked what kind of heart you have for God? When was the last time you really reflected on that? Do you even know what kind of heart God wants from you? I think these are really important questions, so important that we're actually going to take a minute right now to bow our heads in prayer, and we're going to reflect on this. And if you could, just bow with me and just really reflect on what is your heart? What has been your heart? Are you just going through the motions? Are you waiting for expectancy? Are you frustrated? Is there shame? Are you angry? Do you not know what to expect? Are you just here? It's fine. But I want to pray over you this psalm. It's Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Lord, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast 
me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And I want you guys to hear this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Let's pray together. Father God, just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your wonder, your glory, your grace, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that today we would have broken and contrite hearts, Lord, submitted to you, God. Would you please help me to be faithful to your word? Would you help my brothers and sisters to receive it, to act, and to live for your glory? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the text we're reading from today is from Luke 20, verse 1 to 19. Luke 21. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they asked. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people around us will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it's from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat, treated shamefully, and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. It's the word of God. It all begins with a question. Tell us what authority you are doing these things. Where do you get your authority? This question comes to fruition, um, especially from last week's scene, right? Jesus is driving out these money changers, these people who are swindling God's people, right? He gets so angry. He tells them, my house 
was to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's so disturbed by what they've done with the temple. He ends up making a whip, and he drives them out. And this place where he is teaching at this moment is the same place where he had just driven these people out. It's not uncommon for someone of position or authority to ask another where their tradition of knowledge or wisdom came from. Right? Essentially, you're asking, show us your resume. Show us why we should listen to you. Why is it that you're able to teach in this way? Uh, we see that it's common tradition. Apostle Paul in Acts, he even does it. He says he was under the teaching of Gamaliel to show that he was properly trained in the laws of the Jewish people. Right? He, they asked for his authority, and it mattered, especially in light of him causing the ruckus and now teaching. But this matter isn't as simple as this question. Yes, the chief priests had a clear line of authority, right? They had a heritage, a tradition. The scribes were well-educated. They were knowledgeable. The elders even had social and economic connections that gave them authority. But Jesus knew his authority came from God. That was clear. Right? Just as clear as the power of healing, driving out demons, all the other miracles he was performing was showing. It was very clear. But the people asking him did not care about where his authority came from. This was not a curious question. This was a confrontation. Right? We see it in the response in verse 5 to 7. If we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it's from. You see, there's no concern here in this, in this little huddle they have together. There's no concern where John's baptism came from because they, they rejected John's baptism a long time ago, just like they rejected Jesus. They had rejected all of this. All that mattered to them at this moment was what, were, what are the effects of our answer going to be? What's going to happen when I say this? What are the people around us going to think? How is this going to affect my agenda? Let me protect my agenda. You see, throughout Luke, we've seen leaders in the community have strayed from how God intended them to act. The exterior looked great. Everything was all in order. But the interior, something in the heart was deeply missing. And this is where we come upon what I am calling the hardened heart. It's the first heart we see. The hardened heart is stubborn. It's selfish. And it's consumed with what it wants. The best way I can describe the hardened heart is when you snap at someone you really love. Right? You know you shouldn't be saying what you're going to say, but it's going to feel real good when you say it. You're going to cut them a little bit. Right? And I know... I know we've all done this, right? Amen? Have we all done this? Right? Who snapped at their mother or the person that raised them for being annoying? I have. My heart and heart usually comes about when I'm hurt by someone that's close to me. Um, so, for instance, my fiance Sonia, she knows that I love to work out. I love working out. So, because she knows that she does her best to work out with me, because I love when she's in the gym with me. Right? I'll plan like a quick circuit, we'll do some lifts together, and you know, we'll be in the gym. It's like such a good time for me. 
But there's one particular day where she was just not having it, right? I'm like, let's go, let's go. And she's like, <sighs> right? She's on her phone all day. She's not talking. She's grumbling. And I'm like, this is not enjoyable. This is, this is, this is tough, you know? And the whole time I'm trying to have a great attitude out of it, but she's not having it. So by, by the end of the workout, I told myself, I'm going to let her have it. I puffed my chest up. I gripped my teeth. I'm, I'm going to give it to her. So we got into the car, and as I'm dropping her off, I looked at her. And I said, Sonia, you ruined something I really enjoy today. I didn't appreciate that. And then she gave me this look. Right? She gives me this look. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's her warning shots. She's firing warning shots at me. Right? There's even one such time she said to me, You don't want this, Cho. She said, And to, to, to I, yeah, I gotta respond, you know? I'm right here. Let's go. And my heart was so hard, and she, she just, she quietly looks at me and she says, I woke up at 5 30 in the morning today to go to work. I came back at 7 30 to jump into spandex, and to go work out with you. I'm tired, and I'm doing my best. You know, and part of me, I was like, oh, yeah, she must be tired, right? But the other part of me, the heart and heart is like, no, she ruined your workout, Doug. I was like, yeah. We got a fight, and we, we had like this huge fight over nothing. But what the heart and heart does to you is it blinds you from perspective, from other people's perspectives. And we see this throughout all of Scripture, what a heart and heart can do. Just like Pharaoh, God can perform every single sign and wonder right in front of your face. Right there. You, you can be struck by lightning in the shape of your social security number in the eye, and you still wouldn't believe. You would have no reaction to anything. You will refuse to see. You will refuse to hear. You will refuse to believe, refuse to understand, and you will refuse Jesus Christ just like these men have rejected him. You see, the answer we don't know comes from them caring more about the people's reaction than the divine authority that is standing in front of them. The answer we don't know comes from a concern of position and honor rather than discerning God's redemptive work for his people. So Jesus responds, I won't tell you either. And then he continues to teach. And I want to stop here for a second to take notice of something, of how amazing it is that Jesus continues to teach. Not only does he know that the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees want to kill him, he knows that all the other people that he's teaching to are going to turn their backs on him and they're going to watch him be crucified. And this is the relentless love of Christ that we need to recognize. That despite all that, despite knowing all these things, he went out to teach. He went out to make himself available. In John 7, it says he went out into the temple courts and he cried out, I am here. He who has sent me is true. He wasn't hiding. We didn't have to venture out to go find him. 
He was there. He was available. Jesus made himself available. Last week, Pastor Peter spoke on judgment. And even when declaring judgment over the city, Jesus weeps for this city. And this is where we see God's heart. We see it in the parable of this owner who time and time again tries to reconcile, make peace with these tenants over and over again. Read it with me, verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat, treated shamefully, sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love, Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. See, what's interesting about this parable and what I love about what Jesus does is he gives you an inside look on what God's thinking. It's real simple. What shall I do? Oh, I'll send my son whom I love. It sounds naive at best, right? But one, we know God is not naive. And two, God is not foolish enough to think that these tenants have any love for him. See, it's in his very nature that he sends his son. It's a part of who he is. These tenants, they've done enough to be punished. They've done enough to be condemned. But God's heart for his people is, oh, there's one more thing I could do. There's one more step I could take to try to bring these people to me. And this is the second heart we see here. This is God's heart for us. This is God's heart for his people. Because Jesus Christ is amazing, amen? Jesus Christ is amazing, but he is vastly more incredible when you realize and understand he is not the beginning of God's work to redeem creation. He is the climax. He is the grand finale. That's why the genealogy we read about in Luke 3, that long genealogy, it starts from Christ, goes all the way back to Adam, is one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture in the Bible because it tells us that God wanted you from the beginning that God has been trying over and over and over and over and over. He's been pursuing relentlessly. And that's why Jesus came from heaven to become a man of sorrow. That's why Luke 15, 7 tells us that God rejoices more over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous men who do not need to repent. That is God's relentless heart for his people. But we also need to take note here of the steady crescendo that the sin of these tenants is taking. Because the tenants forgot who the vineyard belongs to. They're blind to their sin. Their hearts are hard, and they get caught up. They become, they go from thieves, and they become murderers. Their sin just gets, they get wrapped up in it. And these tenants, 
are a direct portrayal of these chief priests and elders and scribes. That's why Jesus says to them, and he references Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, now I, know, I, I don't know much about cornerstones or masonry, but I have Google. So this is what I learned. Uh, a cornerstone, uh, we have a picture of it. You will recognize it by it's that big block, right? It usually has the date the building was put up, the sponsor or the architect who built it. That is the cornerstone. And this cornerstone is so important because it's either laid down first or it's laid down really early on. And then all the other stones of the building are laid down with respect to this stone. So by the time the building's finished, this one stone uh, decides the position or where the building faces, what it, where, where it's facing, and all, all aspects of the building. All the stones are in line with this stone. Right? Jesus is calling us as a cornerstone to be in line with him, to be positioned with him, to have the same direction as him. He's telling that to these chief priests. And he tells them, you're rejecting me, but I am the foundation to your salvation. He gently calls us to fall in line. See, Jesus, he doesn't force the knee to bend. Jesus does not force the head to bow. Jesus coaxes us. He calls to us. He pursues us. That is Christ. But for those who continue to reject him and to hold on to hard hearts, there is equally hard judgment. The master does return, and the master does remove bad tenants. See, the hardened hearts of the chief priests and the others Their very hearts fulfill the parable that Jesus is speaking to them. They are faced with salvation and peace with God. But they are so fixated on killing Jesus to shut him up rather than self-reflection. But despite a very hard bottom line being drawn here, there is something that could go missed. Verse 16, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Who are the others? We are the others. See, this is where we see the third heart. It's our heart. Because to receive the vineyard, to receive the inheritance, you can't receive it by taking it. Right? This is not something you can secure with your own hands. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't steal it. So how do you receive it? All you can have is a heart that is faithful enough to receive it. That's it. Essentially, your palms are open. And hopefully, hopefully, we have learned from past tenants. We have encountered Christ in our life. We have experienced the master's son to have our eyes opened to a love that is so big gets so focused, right? This love that it, every time you think you have a handle on its size, God says, no, I have more for you. I have more for you. I have more for you. This love 
will cause our palms to stay open, but be filled with fruit from the work of the vineyard, offered back joyfully and willingly to the master. Right? If God give you everything, if you can acknowledge God has given you everything, does it really make sense to hold anything back? Does that really make sense? And this is not just money. Right? This is everything. This is your family. This is your children. This is your lifestyle. This is your sexuality. All the way down to little things like the way you even watch sports. Don't you want all of your life to be holy and pleasing and worship to God? Not just, just enough. That's why confession is so powerful. Imagine the dark places of your life, the secrets that you have, flooded with light. Because when that happens, God takes those things and he uses them for his glory. Amen? When your heart is aligned with God, you walk in authority. You live differently. You walk in authority. Romans 8, verse 12 to 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the chief priests missed out on what Jesus' mission was. His mission wasn't come to judge. His mission was to come to share his inheritance. His mission was come to come and to give all that he had. To give it away. See that, that word sonship in that Romans passage? It, you can really translate it to firstborn. Right? When you become, when you achieve that status, you are on the same level as Jesus Christ. He makes you a co-heir. He gives you equal footing with himself at the cost of himself. That is Jesus. See, one of my best friends... <clears throat> His father, uh, he's a reporter. And if you know anything about being a reporter, the craft is really hard to make money at from. Uh, I really respected him because he's a man that really followed his convictions. He had a great job uh, in the government in South Korea in the 70s. But during that time, um, he didn't really agree with what the administration was executing, like what policies they were doing. So he spoke out on it. He was very brave to do that. He spoke against it, and because of that, they exiled him. They exiled him, and he moved to the States. And uh, he became a local news writer within the States. So about the time my friend was in middle school, uh, his father was reporting, and like a good reporter, he got hint uh, that this mega church, the pastor was embezzling money and abusing funds. And so, like a good reporter, he, he reported it. He reported it, and 
because he was good at what he did, this pastor was ousted. He was kicked out of the church and removed. But before all that happened, the pastor sued my friend's dad in a real, for in a long, drawn-out lawsuit. It went for years, and it financially crippled their family. Because of that, my friend, he said he wanted no part of the church, and he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I met him in college, and we hit it off really well. We hit it off really quickly. Uh, back then, I barely knew what it was meant to be Christian. So we did everything together, right? We got drunk together. We chased girls together. He lived with me when I ran a poker house. And then we graduated, right? We did everything. He, we graduated, and then we kind of separated. We kept in touch. He went to Honduras for the Peace Corps, and he experienced a boatload of things over there. But if I could describe him, he is like your modern-day hippie, right? He did a lot of drugs, smokes a lot of pot, sleeps with a lot of women. But when Christ came and changed my life, he supported me. He supported my decision to become a pastor, even though he hated church and even though my family didn't want me to become a pastor. He supported me. And it's, even though it seemed like we were on completely different spiritual paths, he was still my friend. Unfortunately, I was never really able to talk to him about God because every time the conversation would come up, he would get really angry, right, because the church was so ugly to him. So I never really got to talk to, about God with him. I just committed to praying to him. And so recently, actually, like the free spirit that he is, he texts me out of the blue. He texts me and he says, yo, do you have any Christian music? And I'm like, okay, he's a writer himself, so maybe, like, he wants, like, a story, like, to, to fill, like, details of a story. And usually he asks me for things like that because he doesn't understand. So I'm like, okay, but this is, like, a rare opportunity. I need to find the right song. What's the right song, right? <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Like, which song do I go with, right? And I'm asking, I'm asking people, and I send them a song, right? And 15 minutes later, he texts me, and he goes, hey, I think I'm sort of Christian. I said, what? Why? Why? Yeah, I had been praying that this guy become Christian, and now I'm asking him, why? Why are you Christian? Why? And he says, I was hung up on all that was wrong with Christianity. I was too hung up with it. I was asking the wrong questions. But if I want to believe and follow Jesus... Why not? I prayed for this guy, but I had never imagined that I would hear those words from his lips. I prayed for him, and now he asks me for prayer. See, Jesus pursued my friend no matter how far he wandered and no matter how hard his heart was. Jesus pursued him because that's who he is. Some of us here, your heart may not be hard overall, but there are definitely pieces, pieces of it that are. And maybe because of those pieces, you may not be hearing from God because you're actually limiting what God can do in your life. See, Jesus is pursuing you.
Jesus welcomes the broken and contrite heart. Jesus wants it all. Jesus just wants it because he, he has been chasing you for an eternity. So my challenge to you today is, won't you commit it to him, what you refuse to let go of? Let's pray together.